One of the things that I appreciate about the Bible is that it's, it's, it's just not very polished. Okay? And we all know from living life that people are messy. Okay? Um, and the book of Jonah reflects a lot of messiness of people. Now, um, when we end the book today, right, in our study of this book of Jonah, we're in chapter 4, there's going to be a number of unanswered questions. Questions about Jonah himself. Questions about the people of Nineveh. And the reality of like it not being very tidy at the end leads me to believe um, that the lessons that God wants us to learn are the ones that are found in the narrative, okay? in the life of Jonah <clears throat> that we read about and the responses of the people that he comes in contact with. So turn to Jonah chapter 4 if you haven't already. Jonah chapter 4 is just about Jonah and God. Okay? But remember, um, when the books of the Bible were written, no chapters, no verses. Right? It was just a story. So there was no break between chapter 3 verse 10 where we ended last week and chapter 4 verse 1 where we are at this week. Okay? So think about in Jonah chapter 3 at the end. When we left off last week, Jonah had preached... The people had repented, and according to chapter 3, verse 10, when God saw that they, meaning the people of Nineveh, that they, did what, what they did, and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction he had threatened. Okay, so we don't know, was the, like, was the repentance of the Ninevites, was that sincere? Did it last? Did they actually stop their evil ways and instead turn to God and begin to live righteous lives? We don't know. We know that 150 years later that Nineveh was destroyed. The prophet Nahum tells us that. But in the midst, we just don't know. What we do have is this ongoing, ongoing story of Jonah. Remember, the only book among the prophets where the book is primarily about the prophet. And we have the story of Jonah, so maybe we should ask, and we kind of left off here last week, did Jonah really change? Do we see evidence of that change in his life? We know that he obeyed God by going and preaching, um, but did it change his heart? Because we know Jonah hated these people, okay? So how does he react when God extends grace to the wicked enemies of Israel and Jonah himself? Okay? Now that question is answered immediately in chapter 4. Look down at verse 1. But to Jonah this, meaning God relenting and not destroying Nineveh, it was in chapter 3 verse 10. But to Jonah this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. Okay. Jonah didn't like this action of God at all. In the Hebrew, the verse literally reads, to Jonah, it was a disaster, a great disaster. He became inflamed, it says, burning with anger. That was the original meaning. To him, um, God should be angry about sin. And he was, and he is, and he should be angry about the sin of the Ninevites, especially in that way, but we also read in Micah chapter 7, verse 18, you, God, do not stay angry forever, but delight to show mercy. God delights in showing mercy to people 
who'll repent. Jonah missed that part. God's mercy um, seemed very wrong. Jonah was crying out for justice. So Jonah goes right back to God with his anger. They're in this argument, and it says, He prayed to the Lord, Isn't this what I said, Lord, when I was still at home? That's why, this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. So apparently, we don't have it in chapter 1, but Jonah and God had had this conversation once before, before he ran away from God in chapter 1. And, and Jonah was afraid at the beginning that God might show mercy to the people of Nineveh. And as we can see here in chapter 4, on the other side of it, he hasn't changed his mind nor his heart. He goes on to explain more of the struggle back in verse 2. He says, I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Okay? Now, let me just carve a time out here. Aside from Jonah's whining, okay, aside from his protest, such a beautiful description of God here in chapter 2. God himself first gives us this description of himself to Moses. It's used seven different times in the Bible. Twice, King David uses it to describe him. Once, the prophet Joel uses it to describe him. Another time, one of the other psalmists uses it. Ezra the priest uses it. And here Jonah uses this, um, this picture of God. It says that God is gracious that he, um, that he gives good things, okay? that God uh, gives us things we don't deserve, that he's generous with this grace. The problem is, sometimes in our imperfections, we love to be the recipients of his grace, <laughs> but we don't always agree with how he dispenses it. Thank you for what you've given me. I don't think that person deserves it. Nah, that person over there, those Ninevites, Jonah said, they don't deserve you, God, <laughs> but I do, of course. And it says he's compassionate. I think about a God who feels, a God who hurts with, um, who's soft toward those who struggle, who cares about those who are experiencing grief and heartache and suffering. Even if it's because of their own actions, that's the part that Jonah missed and that we miss if we're not careful. Like God loves us in spite of ourselves. We know that. We own that. We love that. We appreciate that. But he loves our enemies too in spite of their own actions. And it says he's slow to anger, meaning that his patience is abundant and that his love is abounding. One commentator described his love like a pot that's not only full, but it's overflowing. And like a spring, it just continues to overflow and overflow. His love is abounding. And then we have this God who relents, that last description of him. This unchanging creator of the universe doesn't change his nature. But we can read many times where he changed his direction, allowing wrath to give way to mercy. The Bible says he relents when we repent. Um, and that's how God is. Okay? 
but it's not how Jonah wanted God to act toward the Ninevites, as we see in verse 3. He says, Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to live than it is to die. Okay, well, maybe he's just a little beyond frustrated at this point. But how'd the guy inside the fish in chapter 2? Remember the guy who, who, who was frustrated, but who changed, we thought. How did he become this guy? The guy who prayed in chapter 2, verse 9, what I have vowed, I will make good. I will say, salvation comes from the Lord. What happened to Jonah? How easily our vows are forgotten when the darkness goes away and the light of the sun begins to shine and life becomes good again in some ways. Now, to be fair, Jonah did do what he committed to do, right? By the letter of the law, I'll go and I'll speak, and he went and he spoke. But kind of that's about it for Jonah. Just like on the ship in chapter 1, we find him saying, I would just as soon die as watch God have mercy on my enemies. And now he had to watch it. And he was so upset about it in that way. He wanted to die because in his mind, he had been just been the agent of God's forgiveness to his enemies. If you could read the mind and heart of Jonah, I think we would find him feeling like a traitor. Like I participated in God saving these people when what we needed was God to wipe these people off the face of the earth. So God replies in verse 4. Is it right, Jonah, for you to be angry? Maybe what God um, was asking is, can anything good come out of your anger? That's a reasonable question for us to answer or for us to ask ourselves when we get on, on the wrong side of God, right? When we're arguing with him, when we're angry because of something, when we're living a life in protest and we say, fine then. I don't care about your church. I don't care about your people. I don't care about your word. If we can't do it my way, we're not going to do it at all. And God's saying, really? How's that working for you, Jonah? Like, is anything good going to come out of that, really, in your life? And I think that's a reasonable question from God. Because it's easy for you and I, when we're on the wrong side of things, to put ourselves in the place of judge and jury and executioner. But easy and right are not the same thing. James warns us as followers of Jesus in James chapter 1, verse 19, that human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. There is a godly anger. We've talked about it before. We've looked at it in the scriptures. Jesus demonstrated it to us. That's not what's going on here with Jonah. And so you get the idea that, that God confronts him, and Jonah kind of just shuts down. Okay? refuses to engage God, seemingly walks away. I'm not ready to talk about this right now. And look down at verse 5. So Jonah had gone out and sat down on a place east of a, at a place east of the city. There he made himself a shelter, sat in its shade, and waited to see what was going to happen to the city. So you get the picture. Jonah still can't believe that God has gotten this wrong. <laughs> And he's going to give God time to change his mind. You get the idea that he's, he's kind of parked in this place where he can watch the city. And at least I get the idea that he's going to sit there for 40 days and see what God's going to do. God, you got 40 days to get this right. I told him 40 days. We're on day 39. Okay, or we're on day one with 39 to go. And so he just is sitting there 
waiting. His only conclusion is, God, surely, these people, like you're not going to have mercy on these people. So God is going to give Jonah an object lesson. He's going to invite him once again into a conversation. He's going to teach him a lesson. Look down at verse 6. Then the Lord provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about this plant. Okay? Side note, like, like this, is, this might be the only time in the book where Jonah's happy. Okay? And it's because of a plant, because he has shade over his head. And it made it grow up over Jonah, give shade to his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy. But at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And this is what Jonah does. So he wanted to die. Again, he wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. Okay? And if you catch the key words and you catch what God is saying, those key words in those three verses are God provided. God provided the plant. God provided the worm. God providing, provided that scorching heat or that east wind, if you would. God gives. God takes away. Only God is God was the point. But at this point, um, Jonah's ready to talk. Or at least to challenge God again, to be done with his life again, as we see in verses 9 and 10. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry I wish I were dead. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant. Though you didn't tend to it or make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. You see the irony here. Don't miss it. Jonah cares. God's saying Jonah cares more about this plant than he did about people, even though he didn't create it. And, and we get it, right? I mean, sometimes we do love our dog more than we do love the people in our life, <laughs> right? They're just easier sometimes in that way. But listen carefully to verse 11 where God says this, and should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals. Now, be careful how you read the last part of that verse. God is likely saying that these people are ignorant ethically, okay? meaning they lack a knowledge of God's ways, but they're still responsible for their evil actions. Okay? That's why God sent Jonah with a message of repentance instead of a message of education. But you put these last two verses together, and God is reasoning with Jonah. He says, if you feel compassion about the destruction of a vine that you did not create, shouldn't I be compassionate about people that I did create. Jonah was ready to see the destruction of the, the, the Ninevites, like it was a good thing. But that city was full of people. And God wants him, he wants us as his people to learn and reflect his compassion 
and his mercy. We finish um, Jonah's story. We, we don't know how it ends here, whether or not he learns to have compassion. But our story, yours and mine, our story isn't finished yet. Will you and I learn to love like God loves? Will we choose to see people how God sees people? Will we become ambassadors of God's compassion and His mercy? Or will we continue to try to place ourselves on the judgment throne of life and somehow think that we are the ones to determine who is worthy and who is not worthy of God's mercy and His compassion? And I think there are a lot of things to wrestle with in this, uh, in this chapter, right? Areas of our lives that need to come under the scrutiny of the Word of God and the Spirit of God in our lives. So let me just mention five of them this morning. The first one is this. People are sinful, <laughs> okay? All of us are sinful, just to different degrees in our mind. But it's just, remember, remember, we're not very far away from a message where he said, how many, how many times does it take for us to sin before we're no longer perfect? Isn't it just one? Before we're no longer holy, before we'd be worthy of judgment in that way. And, and yet God so loved the world, meaning the people that he created, that he gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. And don't miss that second verse there in verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. It's pretty easy to sit in our own shelters, whether that's our home, whether that's um, our house or our church, whether it's our friend group, and get comfortable but there is a world out there that is desperate for hope. Desperate to know that they can change. Desperate to meet a God who is compassionate and forgiving because they maybe haven't met a lot of people who are. God can change people. Okay? And unless you're dead yourself, he's not done changing you at least if you cooperate with him. You and I, just like Jonah, we get to decide how painful this process of changing becomes. The more we resist, the more opportunity there is to learn the hard way. Okay, number two. Grace is not fair. It's better than fair, right, isn't it? I mean, no one deserves God's mercy you can't earn grace. Jonah knew that just like we do. Yet in our own break, brokenness, we find ourselves accepting God's grace personally and wanting to withhold that same grace from others. And in our darkest places, wanting God to withhold His grace from others. But we can't control God. You and I don't get to determine who receives his mercy and forgiveness unless somehow we try to control it, like Jonah, by who we're willing to share the message of God with. 
So welcome to the tension of Jonah. <laughs> Living among a people um, like us who are unworthy of his grace and yet the calling for us to deliver that message to them. All of us have that tension to one degree or another. All I'd have to do is know you well enough to mention maybe just one name in your life, and all of a sudden your neck would start to get stiff, and you think, oh, don't bring them up. Okay? And yet while our necks stiffen, God's heart remains soft, and we have to grow to where our heart reflects God's heart for the lost. Okay? Number three. Jonah knew God's nature, but it didn't fit his own narrative or his story or, or the, the, the painting that he wanted to paint, the picture that he wanted to draw, the story that he wanted to write. Okay? And I suppose all of us have struggled with this at times. We have a plan. We have thoughts about how that plan should work and he, how God should even do his part of the plan, right? Um, but he doesn't always cooperate. And sometimes we get frustrated. And other times, like Jonah, maybe even we get angry with him. Um, but we don't form God. Okay? We um, sometimes don't like his mercy. We sometimes don't like his standards. Sometimes we don't like his justice. And at times we not, might not even like his discipline. But he is God. And you and I are not. And our knowledge of God is not yet complete. He's still working on us and therefore working on our story. He has so much more to share with us about himself if we are willing to watch and study and learn. Like it's the call of our lives to know God and to make him known. Not just the prophet. Number four, God is the only holy, the only one holy, just, and merciful. Enough to make judgments about someone else's eternity. Like we know the Old Testament is full of prophecies of God's just and fair wrath. The same God who relented on Nineveh destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. The God who is slow to anger, like we looked at last week in 2 Peter, is not going to delay his judgment forever, we read throughout the scriptures. Yet God is both merciful and he's just. And you and I can't choose one or the other as if he is somehow two different gods. I think the key is to remember God's word from Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, where he says, It is mine to avenge. I will repay. He's God. He is the judge. Um, have you ever watched God save someone or heal someone or make someone new that you wanted him to make pay for something they've done? Feel like they got off scot-free? Like, is that fair, you would say? How did you respond with skepticism? Um, with denial, with acceptance, with joy? How did you respond when word came that mass murderers Ted Bundy and Jeffrey Dahmer 
gave their lives to Jesus before they died. Did that make you angry? Would you rather people go to hell eternally than change their ways? Be forgiven? Live with God forever? Our true answer to that question probably indicates how much growth we have still to do in our lives because that's what this comes down to. Would you like to live by the same standard and have God judge you by the same standard on your record of sin? Not me. Do you trust God to be the judge? In some ways, that question is irrelevant because he is the judge whether you trust him to be or not. Okay? The relevance um, is the quality of life that you're going to choose to live based on how you accept him in that role. And do you trust him to be God? That was my favorite part of the movie The Shack um, and also the most squirmy part for me uh, if you remember the movie and, and in the cave where um, God basically presents, do you want to be the judge? Do you want the responsibility that comes with that? Do you know what that means? He'll cure you of that, hopefully. Hmm. Number five, our God is not ours alone. That's a message of the book of Jonah. He is not just our God that way. He was not exclusive to Israel. He is not exclusive to you and I. He's not exclusive to the, the members of Troy Christian Church. He's the God of all creation, including all of the people in the world. And that is why uh, God has called us, as he did Israel in the day, to go and make disciples, to introduce people to Jesus so that they can become followers of his as well. God's concern for lost people has to become our concern for lost people if we're going to truly be like him as his disciples. Listen, we live in a broken world full of broken people. Um, we know God, yet we still struggle to let him rule in our lives. So how can we expect those who don't know him who don't know his ways, who don't have his Holy Spirit inside them, how can we expect them to live under his rule in their lives? Yet they won't know unless we show them with our lives and tell them with our words. That is our calling as God's people. Let's not be reluctant. <laughs> Let's not be resentful toward God and his purposes like Jonah Instead, let's seek to conform our lives to his and work toward being able to pray how Jesus taught us to pray when he said, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done in my heart and in my mind and in my life so that I might live a life that honors you. Listen, today, if you need to give your life to God, to get right with him by surrendering a part of your life um, that you've held from him or need to repent of. 
if you have a vindictive attitude or heart towards someone or some group, meet us in the back after I pray while we sing. And let's pray together for God to gain um, lordship over those particular areas of your life. Let's pray together. Uh, Father, your word uh, boldly calls us to places that we don't want to go. Challenges us to thoughts we don't want to think. Responses that aren't natural for us to give. Compassion and mercy we enjoy. But Lord, let us not just be receivers. Let's be givers of the same so that we might show to the world the God that we know. The God of grace and compassion and justice who always does what is right and who has blessed us with the hope of life forever with him. Lord, that is our hope. Cement it through giving us a life that reflects you. In Jesus' name.